Welcome to episode number 582 of G220 Radio. I'm Ricky Gantz with Mike Miller, and we want to, again, welcome you to the program here tonight. Uh, we are going to continue our series on Proverbs, uh, continuing that series there, uh, and we are going to do the second part of Proverbs 23. One of the things I think, Mike, that we've learned over the years is that trying to do a whole book of Proverbs in one sitting, in an hour, uh, is difficult. Um, and so we tried to break it up into two. And then for this one, we, I was thinking like, man, two of them, with all the verses that are in here, let's break it up into three parts. And I think it helps us to get a little more time that we can spend on the verses and and maybe talk through some things and not feel like we have to rush at certain points to kind of get to the end. Um, but you know, what's interesting. My pastor sent me a link to, he went to a Bible study that was local and he said uh, this, well, obviously it was local. He went to this Bible study where they were going through Proverbs. This guy was teaching through the entire book of Proverbs in one hour. So obviously <laughs> I, I think I haven't listened to it yet, but I, I'm, I'm assuming he must have hit high. He must have had an outline like this is what we're getting in chapter one, chapter two and so forth. And maybe yeah, pulling a few different is- verses. These are the themes of Proverbs. Here you go. Yeah. That's like the only way you could really cover it. Yeah, I, I haven't listened to it yet. He did send me that link uh, whenever I do listen to it. Uh, if this guy does, he said the guy was talking very fast. But he says, if this guy was le- legitimately rushing through this or m- pulling through this, uh, I'll have to send it to you and you can check it out for yourself. But I thought a whole book of Proverbs in an hour, like we can't even get through a quarter of the book of one chapter, you know, let alone all <laughs> of the chapters yeah. in Proverbs. So, you know, um, we will do our best here tonight to deal with Proverbs chapter 23, verses 13 through 23. And obviously uh, I wasn't going to mention this because uh, those who are listening to us via YouTube are already watching us via YouTube. And those who are on Facebook are probably wondering, where are we? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where you are. Uh, you need to come over here on YouTube and watch it. Uh, because again, this is the second time um, we are not having uh, it show up on on Facebook. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that it's probably because I scheduled these shows in advance, and then somehow, like last week when I came on, I needed to re-upload or re-update the Facebook thing because I had changed a password or something like that. My wife had changed something. And so then, therefore, um, I think it booted that out. And so I needed to go back in and redo that. And I'm not sure if it sent it that way. It could be the issue. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, but um, it just didn't show up. And so we like you over here on YouTube anyways. I mean, we can see the, the comments. We can interact a little bit. I can even put up polls and stuff over here. So I do like YouTube. Um, and so... Either way, uh, we're over here on YouTube. So for those wondering where we are on Facebook, I guess you're going to keep wondering unless you come over here uh, to YouTube and find out where we are. Um, But Mike, let's go ahead and get into this here as we look at Proverbs. Again, last week we talked uh, from Proverbs 1 through 12, um, and there was some themes with this. I was finding the scriptures that are in this book that have to deal with the heart and using them for the titles of each of these three shows dealing with Proverbs 23. So tonight, let not your heart envy sinners. Okay. And we're going to get to that here. We're going to talk about that here tonight. 
Uh, but when we look at this, when we look at these first two verses, um, because I want to I want to point them out there uh, at, at one time. Um, but verse 13, it says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. And verse 14 says, if you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So kind of two verses here um, in dealing with them. It's not something we have not discussed previously on Proverbs, uh, disciplining your children, discipline even when we had our series where we talked about uh, family. Discipline is an important thing in your family, to discipline your children. Um, we talked about this on that show, and we could talk about it here tonight as well a little bit. But discipline, is we're not talking about abuse, but proper discipline is good. It's healthy. It's loving to discipline your child. And the author here of Proverbs, Solomon, writing here and saying, you know, do not withhold discipline from your child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. And so, again, not an abuse, an abusive way, but one who is spanking their child, disciplining their child. Their child's not going to die from that discipline. Actually, that discipline is meant to be a benefit to him in love. Right, Mike? Yeah. We think about, I, mean, I don't know if, what verses you thought of to think about this. So you think, but I thought about Hebrews, that God disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplined Moses when he sinned. And we think about how God disciplines um, his people and what's the purpose of discipline. Well, he wants, he disciplines them that they can grow and trust in faith mm -hmm. and obedience. And to, as we march towards his coming and we see the future, see our call to be faithful to the end, discipline helps us and reminds us what we are to be doing. In the same way, what we see here in Proverbs and what we can kind of ex by extension thinking about how God disciplines us is the call as a parent to discipline their child, to train them up. We've kind of talked about it recently. Train up a child in the way of the Lord. You should never depart from it. And to think about, well, how do we train? Well, you train by instruction, by telling them what they need to know, giving them wisdom, and you train them when they don't heed your instructions by striking them with the rod. And I think there's that balance in what we're called to do. This isn't an abusive discipline. Mm -hmm. You're not venting your anger. This is controlled and it's purposeful. It's for the child's benefit. It restores the peace in the home. And we even then see in 14 that if you strike the strike him with the world, you're going to save his soul from Sheol, from death, from kind of this ultimate death. So Christian discipline is not just about getting them to act a certain way. It is a reflection of how God disciplines us. And it calls for them to not even be 
to not just be obedient to their parents, but ultimately to be obedient to God because they're to honor mm -hmm. their mother and their father. That is the commandment given. It's then given back, you know, um, Ephesians 6 about how children are to act with their parents. And so there's a reflection there of parents obeying God and disciplining their children, showing their children that even that they are to not only obey God in obedience to their parents, but their parents obeying. And so now you have this kind of understanding of obeying God to try to please God, not in some justification way, but God is pleased when his children obey. Yeah. I mean, they get the Proverbs, good and faithful servant. That's what we desire to hear when we leave this world and we stand before Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so being obedient brings pleasure, brings favor, not in our salvation and salvific, but just his dispension. Because God, in one sense, doesn't want to discipline us as much as a, as a parent does not desire to discipline their children. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to, you know, that last part there of verse 14, uh, you will save his soul from shield, from the grave, right? From destruction, from death. And I know the King James will use this and say hell. And so um, even looking at Gill's commentary, he, he, he brings this, which is something we try to do here too, because we, we understand that when we talked about wisdom earlier, you know, some people want to give pushback and say, well, you know, wisdom doesn't mean it speaks about her and it, it doesn't mean God or, or Christ. But there are passages that we're reading through this where this is pointing to something deeper than the physical in this. Right. So there is that aspect to it. But even just thinking of the grave, saving your, your child from destruction, consider how many children, young teenage men that we see on the news that have been uh, struck down by police or struck down through a, a, a random uh, shooting with a shootout with someone else, uh, or they did something stupid. Like I, there's so many videos that are on these TikToks and on these, these short little Instagram things where you see people doing dumb stunts that if they slip and fall, they're done. And mm -hmm. they think this is cool. This is fun. This is like, uh, I'm going to do these tricks and get these views and, and whatever the case may be, or they're out being a criminal, doing things that are against the law, and they face the consequences of that, you know? Um, and so, but you look at this and say, if these children were being disciplined, would this be the case? And it, and I would say that in the majority of these cases, because you're still going to have some outright rebellious children, but in the majority of these cases, if parents were disciplining their children, you wouldn't see as much of this, I believe, you know, because you're, you're keeping, you're saving your child's soul from the grave. If you tell them you don't go out and rob stores, you don't go out and do these things. And then you're giving them a reason why as Christians, you know, my daughter, she's six and she's asking a lot more questions now when we tell her, no, you can't watch that. Well, why what's bad with it? You know? And so I'm seeing that I need to be more patient and sit down and explain things to her as to why this is not a good thing or why when we're telling you to do something and your response is not the proper response. 
why daddy, what did I say that was wrong? You know? And so that's part of the Lord working on us as well in the sanctification process, but we're explaining to it. So it's not just, I don't like something, so therefore don't do it. No, there's a reason why I don't want you to be influenced by this. Or there's a reason why we don't talk to people like that. There's a reason why we don't say things like that, you know? Um, and, and it's, it's, so it's instructing your children, which we see a lot of in Proverbs, uh, Solomon giving instruction and calling us to heed the instruction to incline our hearts to it. And so that's one of the, the aspects of it. But we're also in doing that, as it says here, you will save their soul from Sheol, from the grave. Mm-hmm. And how much we haven't, it's been a while since we've looked at it, but Lady Folly and her end, what's her end? I mean, um, I don't remember what chapter, but it talks about her having um, the bones of the people who came before mm-hmm. this foolish man. Like in, and just that personification of folly leads to death. And, you know, we can see that in how people act. And I think it, there is that that call to um, be wise, to, to learn. I think you even see it, this is not just like, as Christians this way, I mean, there's a sense in which you see it in um, these personal development books. And a lot of times, at least ones that I've read for work, like you see elements of Proverbs in there. You see elements of the truth that they have. And I think when we think about than training our kids, we have something better. I think we're going to talk. I mean, we'll talk about it even, I think a little bit later, maybe next week about buying truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The last verse to mm-hmm. buy truth, buy wisdom and having instilling in our children to think wisely, think biblically. Cause I mean, Ricky, we're probably in the same boat. I didn't have that growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I became a believer later in my life. There were sins that had to, that persisted after that, that remained and must be killed. And there's still sins with that. And to think about now, God's given me the path that he's given to me. And he saved me the ways he does. But when we think about raising our children up and disciplining and thinking about these things, this is what will lead them to think about the Lord, to lead them to think about what is good, what is right, and to live in that way. And so when we teach them how to read the Bible, how to, you know, the scripture memories, catechisms, everything that's in there, and we've mentioned this in the show, this is what the spirit uses to change their hearts. Mm-hmm. And when I think when we, there's the discipline to correct behaviors and we see how that goes in the kind of the secular realm. Now there, you know, you have allegations of not spanking because of it where they just, they leave their parents' homes and there's this rebellion against it because they're, um, 
oppressive. And a lot of that is that we allow little sins when they're younger and we crack down on them when they're older. And there's a there's less freedom. There's a sense in which they're in less freedom when it should be the other way around. That you crack on the, the little sins when they're younger and then you build them up to learn how to use their freedom rightly and wisely mm. so that when they leave the home, they are acting like adults. And then my professor, who was really kind of hammering this home with us on this, was dealing with it where his son, who was 17, living in his house. So he's under his dad's authority, and yet he's working at the seminary, working with agents and other groups to bring them in and to have events at the seminary, which is a very grown-up thing. And his dad was telling us that's a good thing. They should desire this kind of leaving the home, but you need to train them to do mm. that and have that. And so when we discipline our children, when we, we think about how this works out, not just in the here and the now, but the, the goal and future of how we want to, them to act in society, it matters. And that's when discipline is given out judiciously, given out correctively, not to, I mean, it's going to sting, it's going to hurt, but it's, it's a point and it's a sharp reminder of what disobedience looks like yeah. and reinforce obedience. Cause as we, I mean, just kind of moving ahead and verse 15, Solomon goes on my soul. If your heart is wide, my heart too will be glad. And mm -hmm. so when we train our kids rightly in the discipline in the fear of the Lord, and they start to walk wisely, that brings joy to our hearts. Yeah. Just like an example today, very fresh. My wife took the kids to the science center. I had to work. So it was her with the, our two kids alone. And the joy that she had because the kids were obedient. They, when she called, they come. There wasn't fussing or throwing tantrums because they had to leave or this or that. And it was a joy. It was an experience. There was joy in it. They chose wisely. And my wife got to enjoy the benefits of their wisdom with a, a day that was full of fun for everyone. And I think it, so discipline allows that kind of peace and joy. And even when our daughter does something that is good and wise, we can rejoice with her on doing what it is. And so discipline has a point. And in the end, when done well, everyone is more happy. They're more alive. There is, there's joy there that can be shared. And that's kind of, what we want in life sin hurts us and was still and destructive but it is that joy we only find that joy when we walk in obedience especially obedience with the lord yeah yeah as you was talking about your children and your wife taking them today um i think that's a great illustration um another one i heard from a friend a while back long time ago actually uh when their his boy was very young he 
made a point to explain and, and, and to, to discipline and to correct to where when he would say something, the child would respond, right? And as you said, not, not keep going. And there was an instance where his child took off running towards the road and there was cars coming. And he called out his name and said, stop. And the son completely stopped because he knew his dad's voice. His dad called him and told him, stop. He stopped going. And if he would not have, he would have ran right out and got hit by that car. And so when we think of these and, and, and um, talking about the, the last verse, uh, when, when you are teaching your child, disciplining your child, um, your, uh, you will save their soul. And then as you said, then my son, if your heart is wise, my heart will too be glad. So if your son exercises or your child exercises wisdom and they heed the instruction, they heed the correction that is given to them, when they hear your voice telling them, no, don't go there, stop, stop, stop moving or whatever it may be, and they heed that, it brings joy to you because, again, their life could be on the line there. Or, you know, um, I think of, you know, there's this movie that came out that everybody's talking about, um, talking about children, um, a Christian movie, supposedly. I don't know much about it, but I've seen some reviews. But with children being trafficked and whatnot, that happens all the time. And so having those conversations with your children saying, you don't talk to strangers, you don't do these things. And if they heed your instruction, it gives you joy to know that they're uh, um, you're trying to keep them safe. You know what I mean? And they're listening to you. They're not just, oh, somebody's offering me something. I'm going to go and go with them in their house or in their truck or van or whatever. You know what I mean? And because it's a scary world in which we live. And so we want to protect our children as much as possible. And them heeding that instruction and being disciplined is for their benefit. Out of love again. It's out of love. All right, so verse uh, fifteen, no, uh, sixteen. Here it says, "My inmost, my inmost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right." So not only doing, heeding your counsel, heeding your instruction, having that joy there, um, but your inmost being again continuing that same thought from verse fifteen, uh-huh. this joy that's there that I will exalt because your lips speak what is right, and then listening to your children. Um, for example, uh, one of my boys is not saved and he hangs out with some of the other kids from a youth group and um, those other kids were cursing. They play, they're playing some video games online or whatever and they were cursing. And my son, who's not a Christian, um, said, I can't interact with these guys because of what they're saying in this. It was bothering him. And so he's kind of put a barrier between that relate, you know, relationship with these other kids, other boys. And so he's, again, my inner, you know, being is like, this is a great thing that he's doing this, you know, and yet he's not a believer. My heart hopes and prays that he's recognized, okay, this is not the kind of behavior or the kind of speech that I want to be a part of or partake in. And then I'm, I pray that, you know, through more instruction, through more discipline, through more uh, in instructing and, and raising them to know the fear and admonition of the Lord, that the Lord would save his soul and keep him from those things that are false. But to speak those things that are true, to speak those things that are right, to speak those things that uplift and not tear down. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think that just shows the connectedness 
between parents and their children. Like there, we may feel like there's like, you can kind of divide it. Um, but there's always a relationship there that happens. And I think this, and this extends beyond just the, the parent child relationship that mm-hmm. we, we honor what is right. We rejoice in what is good. And, but just even more so when you see the complete, you see all of this training, the hard work, the discipline that is never pleasurable. No one enjoys it. Finally bear the fruit of all of those labors. And the joy comes with it. The, the joy of them choosing the, the right path, the wise way. And doing it not, hopefully not just to please you, but because that is right and that is good. And, you know, and sometimes I've kind of, I've been trying to do better. This is just acknowledging to my children when they do well, when they obey well. Um, and, and acknowledging kind of expressing this, exaltation of my joy in their obedience. Mm -hmm. And I think this, this applies to even our obedience towards God Mm -hmm. that um, when we are tempted to sin and overcome the sin by God's grace and praising him for helping us, giving us that power to overcome it. So even if we think about not only physical relationships that we have here on earth, this even applies spiritually in our prayer life as we think about God's blessings in our lives. Obviously, when we sin, we we should go and ask for forgiveness. But when we overcome sin, I mean... Think about the joy the father has when we obey. He doesn't have to discipline us for our sin. Um, You know, it's not always probably perfectly sinless. We are sinful people. But the joy that we can express to God for what he has, how he has helped us to release the bondage of a sin that we may have struggled with. And the joy it comes to God, who's not controlled by his passions, he's not controlled by the emotions, but is we're able to have a deeper fellowship with him when that comes. I think that this ultimately pulls us to think about kind of our spiritual relationship with our Father and the Triune God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This verse uh, 17, next verse here says, let your let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. And we've talked about the fear of the Lord. We want to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And even us as as older 
you know, um, adults, Christian adults, um, we want to still have a reverence and a fear of God. I think we've talked about this before on a, on a previous show when we talk about what does it mean to fear God? Sometimes people say, well, no, it's not a fear, like a, um, it's more of a reverence. Well, there is a reverence that we should have of God, but there also is a healthy fear that we should have of God. Rather than treat him as if he's he's just our homeboy or he's our, you know, our our our, our daddy in the sky kind of thing. He is a father to the fatherless. He he is a father to us, but but just not having a, a relationship that is just nonchalant. Um, I don't even know if that's the right word of saying it. Uh, where we're just it's kind of superficial kind of relationship with him. Uh-huh. No, there there is a fear there, right? I don't want my kids necessarily to fear me per se um, in an unhealthy way, but I want them to fear me in a healthy way, right? And I think when it comes to God, we, we have a reverence for who he is. He's God. And yet we also have a fear of who he is because do not fear him who can kill the body, but fear him who can kill body and soul, right? Yeah. And so this idea then to let not your heart envy these sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the, all the day, I think it's easy for us to look around society, even in the Psalms. You read like when they're, they're, the psalmists are writing and saying, "How long, O Lord, are these sinful people going to be blessed and benefited? They're, like they're they're prospering, right?" And I think it's easy for us to look around in our society and see all the wickedness that is going on around and think that these sinful people are prospering and doing well, financially well, stable, whatever it may be. Um, that appears for a period of time that this is a prosperous thing for them, while we as Christians may struggle, may have trials and tribulations, may not be financially um, stable, you know? And so, therefore, um, we look at that, but we're not to envy them. We're not to envy these sinners, because this is temporary. Ultimately, God is going to judge at the appointed time. And so those in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing that has been given to us. And so, but those who are not in Christ, this little period of what seems to be prosperity within their life will come to naught because they have no hope outside of Christ. Yeah, and we've seen it even in um, Proverbs you see this in Ecclesiastes too. this idea about um, envy the, the sinners. Obviously they seem happy. They seem rich and well to do, but the, the question is who is worthy of our devotion? Is it the pursuit of whatever these sinners have, whether it's fame, money, power, whatever that may be, a seemingly enjoying life, seemingly carefree life? Or are we going to devote ourselves to having wisdom, have fearing the Lord? that drives obedience and like you like you mentioned we can 
we can look out, we can see the world, and it can be envious. How I mean, just the thought, and of course, it's not true. Of oh, if I had X amount of money, my life would be better. And how that is never the case. There is not enough money to make your life better. And one thing also with these sinners is they lack wisdom, true wisdom. They may be able to grow their money. They may be able to do whatever they need to and make choices. But in the end, as Ecclesiastes will tell us, it's vaporous. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. You put all this stuff in your share houses. You have fat bank accounts. But you, when you die, that's someone else's money. That's no longer yours. You don't get to right. keep it with you. And so we can envy the things that the sinners have, the tangible, the physical things. But in the end, they're not going to be with us when we die they're going to be someone else's all this hard work will lead to something else but faith in god doesn't god saves your soul there is something you have something different you have treasures that cannot be destroyed and you have treasures that will last eternity because you have god himself And so to continue in that fear is to continue in something that is not vaporous that you can take with you when you die. And that's the question. The, the sinners are short sighted. Mm -hmm. They see today and that is it. As Christians, we are called to see the long game to see what is We are to look for the glories that await for us when we leave this world and we set eyes, when our faith is now confirmed by what we see with our own eyes. Yeah. And that's actually, it even flows into the next verse. I was going to read it together, but I forgot to, but they go together because it says, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. So for those that are in Christ, as you're saying, they're not going to be cut off. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. Like I said, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that's been given to us. Um, while we may not see some things here in this, um, in in the in the present, eternally, we won't be cut off. But there is a future for us that are in Christ, and there's a future for those that aren't. And and that's the the thing that. Sometimes we can get um, envious of these sinners and consider the things that they have. And as you was talking about, these people who work and work and work and and they 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 acquire wealth. We've even talked about that in Proverbs. People acquire wealth <laughs> in a, in a wrong kind of way, and then, like you said, when they die, it's not theirs anymore. It's gone. It may go to their children, but how often do we see children who inherit much squander it? You know, they squander it. Um, and and so therefore, again, it's it's given to somebody else. Um, and and so there is a future for them and us, but those that are in Christ, 
they're not going to be cut off. It's that eternal hope that we have that's in Christ. It's 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 this eternity uh, in the presence of God, right? Everlasting life. But those not in Christ, it's eternal death, eternal conscious torment in this place of judgment, right? And that's a scary thing. That's why we, we, we evangelize. That's why we share the gospel with people. That's why we evangelize our children and, and teach them the fear and ad, raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and, and discipline them is because, again, we not only want to save their souls in the temporal sense, but in an eternal sense, not that we're saving them, but that we're pointing them to truth. We're pointing them to the word of God. We're pointing them to the one who is true and who can save and who does give hope in order and in prayer that they would be brought to genuine faith in Christ themselves and have that eternal, eternal hope that's there in Christ. Uh-huh. Anything you want to add there, Mike, or you want to move on? Let's move on. All right. Verse 19 says, hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. So again, you have this call to your son to hear me, to instruct, to, to incline your hearts to my instruction that I'm giving to you. And I think we also, uh, when it says, and direct your heart in the way, we think of, again, not just in this physical sense, but in the spiritual sense of this, that when God is giving to us his word, giving to us pastors, teachers, people who are uh, presenting truth from God's word, are we hearing? Are we listening to him? Are we taking that and being wise with what we have been given through God's word, through the spirits leading us into all truth um, and directing our heart in the way in which he is calling us to walk? And I, I posted this, um, I think it was the other day, but that, that song, uh, it was on my mind, uh, Obedience, that I used to sing it when I was a, a, a young kid in Sunday school. Obedience is the very best way to know that you believe. So are we hearing God's word? Are we being wise with what it says and directing our hearts to walk in the way of the word of God, to walk in obedience, not perfection? We would never say perfection here. I was having a conversation just recently with a sinless perfectionist who didn't understand why He's considered a, a Pelagian, but he denies original sin. That's why you're considered a Pelagian. But um, <laughs> but the point is that we don't believe in sinless perfection here. We don't believe in perfect obedience, but we are called to be obedient. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's calling us to be obedient. Now, again, we're going to be going through a sanctification process here, but is, is the direction of our life being wise to hear the instructions that's given to us? from God through his word and in seeking to walk in it. Yeah. And I think that's, there's a lot here to, to, to think about, about the idea of being wise, which really has, as we think about the past shows has been a, again, a repeated drum about gathering for yourself wise counselors being around those who are wise because in that you gain wisdom you gain a knowledge that you can apply to your life and and so it's both you need knowledge so you need to be wise you need to have the knowledge 
but you need to direct your heart to live in that knowledge. That's where wisdom is at. And how many people, I mean, we kind of think about people who are like street smart mm. and book smart. And, you know, and, and those are valid to way to kind of think about maybe how people are, but there's a sense in which you need to be both. You need to, to know things, know how the world works, mm. but you need to rightly apply that knowledge to your life. You need to then have kind of that street smarts. And we thinking just like thinking through this verse again the call is to gather to to be wise and as parents we should encourage our kids to be wise as students of the word we need to hear the command to be wise to seek those that can instruct us um kind of looking at the hebrew here the word direct is kind of in a, a causative state so this is kind of thinking through what that means is um that this wisdom you're directing your heart is not just necessarily you i think it should be implied that the lord here so not only are you to hear and be wise, but that with the power of the Lord, you direct your heart in the way of wisdom. And this is, I don't think this is anything kind of new. This is what Paul tells us about how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, mm -hmm. knowing that it is the Lord who works through us. And so again, kind of reflecting on, the wisdom requires not only us gaining it and working on it, but also the heart, also God working on our heart that we may then rightly apply. I think leading to James two, to be ones who can seek wisdom and to live. And we're not double minded in how we live our lives in kind of this state of belief and unbelief. Yeah, absolutely. And then in, and as you mentioned about being wise and having wise counsel and, and being around company, that's going to um, build you up rather than being around, you know, a bad apple corrupts a whole bunch. Right. And it mm -hmm. goes into the next two verses where it speaks of those who can, would corrupt and, and corrupt you is it says in verse 20 and 21, uh, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Right. And so we know that the Bible doesn't tell us, even though there are some of them who are uh, teetotalers who will say, you know, you can't have alcohol at all. The Bible doesn't say that there is wine. Uh, it is alcohol. However, um, we're not to be drunk. The Bible says no drunkard will inherit the kingdom of God. So it says, be not among these, these types of individuals, these drunkards and these gluttonous eaters of meat. And, and I think about this because we don't often hear sermons on gluttony. Uh -huh. You know, it's very rare. I think we did one show on it, 
around Thanksgiving time, maybe three, four years ago, maybe longer. I don't know. We did one show on it because, again, it was one of them topics that doesn't really get talked about much. But here in the Proverbs, Solomon's directing to us to be not among these drunkards or among these cluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. Why will they come to poverty? Because their their focus and their desire is to continue to engage or in, in um, what's the right word? Indulge in this alcohol, in these meats, right? Uh-huh. You know, that they, they just they can't they can't stop indulging in it. They want more and more, not because they're hungry or they're thirsty, but because there's a desire for it. And that desire is a strong desire that that's not one of of a healthy desire. Again, you can eat for the 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 uh, sustaining of your body, right? Having a hard time speaking tonight, but for the sustaining of your body, but not to overeat and and to to just in be a glutton in that, right? And and so there's that there because they're going to come to poverty. They're going to put everything they have, spend all their money in, into to these things. And it says, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Slumber. So what does these things bring about? Laziness. No desire to want to go and work. So they're going to give all their money to this. And then they're going to be in rags because they're they're not going to want to work. They're going to slumber in it. Uh, they're going to be lazy. And they're going to be clothed with rags then is what it's saying. Huh. Yeah. And I think you kind of think about it. What makes the drunkard and the gluttonous what's kind of that sin what's kind of the the root sin and it's lack of self-control yeah and a drunkard doesn't have enough control in drinking small small drinks or in and drinking alcoholic drinks gluttonous does not have self-control when there's food around we we talked about this a little bit two weeks ago on the show about being kind of gluttonous in front of the King and what that, Mm -hmm. what that may present to someone and the, the image with it. And so Solomon is saying like, don't being among these because they have no self-control. And in the end, as you mentioned, they slumber will clothe them with rags. They, they, you know, become lazy, don't feel good. I mean, especially with um, drunkenness, just the, you know, how bad they feel the next day, that hangover experience and that they can't do anything. And, And an alcoholic that impacts then their job, how they perform again, self, Self-control matters. Self-control is what the son needs to direct his heart. He needs to to control himself and to do what is right. And so, again, I think, you know, when we think about kind of the, the underlining sin, and I think this, when we think about not just this is food and, and drink, but just any sin where self-control is the root of it that you can't control yourself brings about this this kind of sin 
and it, it affects all areas of your life, mm-hmm. whether you know it or not. And so, yeah, the, the being wise and knowing, having self-control, knowing your boundaries and be able to live within it and to do as right. That's what wisdom is. Like you mentioned, we're not teetotalers. Um, and it's not like I drink all the time either. That's we just don't. Yeah, I don't drink at um, all. But like so yeah. But yeah, we don't we don't say it's sin. Go ahead. But you know, it doesn't mean you can't have one, but it's again self-control. I know I can have one with food and I'm fine. Like that's and I think it's just again figuring out how can I have self control over my life because if i don't it affects my life and in this case the the consequence is poverty its consequence is not being able to have clothes to wear you got kind of this homeless vibe um with it and and i think you see that in the homeless population of people who lack the Mm self-control and they now find themselves living on the street now that's not always the case right so i'm not trying to broadbosh it but oftentimes especially alcoholism leads to that type of result and it again it, it calls us to think about what is how can how can i control my body have that self-control to then do what is right to direct my heart along that path yeah yeah absolutely Now, this last verse here, you already mentioned it once, but it says, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Sorry. No, I I said them together, I thought. I did Uh, them together, I think. Uh, No, you're right. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. Uh, Verse 22, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. So again, there's that call to listen to your father, to heed their instruction and don't despise your mom because she's older. Right. Also in heed her instruction as well. I think about this often when I hear my older kids call their mom and I hear her on the phone with them when they're sick and they're asking, Hey, what should I do? I'm not feeling good. What should I take? Where, what should, what should I do about this? Hey, I'm, I'm trying uh-huh. to figure out my taxes. How do I do this? You know, I, I hear them calling her, looking for advice, right? So Solomon's telling us here, you know, again, uh, that, um, you find it again, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she's old. So take the heed from your parents, listen to them because the instruction that they're giving you again is not, or that they're giving to their children is not out of some malicious intent for their lives to just fall apart and just be a mess and bring about death at an early age. No, it's because they care and they want their children to do well. But more importantly than doing well in this life, they want their children to understand that there is morals out there, but that we, when we're teaching them these morals, it's not for the sake of being moral. It's for the sake of honoring Christ. It's for the sake of glorifying God. Because what is the chief end of men? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the ultimate, that's the ultimate thing in this life is to glorify God. Everyone was made to glorify God. You will either glorify God through obedience and through faith in Christ, which brings about the obedience to him, 
or you will glorify him in his condemnation of you in the judgment Mm -hmm. that you will receive. And so we want our children to know the Lord. We want them to do well. We want them to be healthy. We want them to be um, financially stable. We don't want them to to make bad decisions that's going to cost them or hinder them or harm them. And so we give advice. So heed the advice of your parents. Yeah. And for us who have parents, the call is the same for us to think about this. I think kind of thinking through this, this isn't just like, you know, little children until, you know, little children or 20 or 30s. This is even thinking about the fact that they have insights because of their age that are beneficial for us, no mm. matter what our age is. Right. And that we should not despise our elders. And to to think about and seek their experience. There is experiences that they have that we may never know. And they can give us examples on how we can be faithful, especially ones who are believers. I think this may be harder when your parents are unbelievers and um, but you're still to honor them and to, to take care of them. And so I think it just calls us not only for us to raise our kids to come to us when they're in need, when they need help and training them in that way, but also exemplify that by going to our parents when we need help, when we mm-hmm. need advice, because my parents have raised kids until they're 18. I have not. And there's wisdom there that they have, especially since my kids turned out to be a lot like me and my parents had to deal with me. And so there is that, the wisdom that they have. And also I think a reflection of what they did and did not do well that can help help us to raise our kids better than we were raised. Though we will have blind spots, we will make mistakes. And then we're able to pass to our kids, this is what I should have done differently. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm glad we did. And these are the benefits in it. I think so there's that give and take of the passing down of knowledge uh, that the Lord uses. And especially when we even, you know, we can think about it in our, in our familiar um, places within our family, but just even our doctrine as a family of little Christ, as we follow Christ and how, we shouldn't despise the saints that have come before us and the wisdom they can gain to us. I know as reformed people, we're pretty good until like 1517 and honoring those who come before us. After that, we're a little dicey, but I still think it, it calls us to think about in some sense, our spiritual fathers and mothers in the faith who lived in different times, inspired, not inspired, but 
meditating on the word given given us truth to think about that is outside of our context to help us to live better. Yeah. Which goes into our final verse here. When you think about this, as, as I tried to jump to it earlier, but by truth, do not sell it by wisdom, instruction and understanding. Now, what the writer is saying here is not speaking about buying salvation, not speaking about being justified by financially giving and, and, and acquiring something through your, your, your money or your, your means to acquire something. Um, man is justified by faith alone. But there is a reality to what you just said there about looking at our early church fathers and looking at um, those that have come before us and that despise the instructions and wisdom that they have given to us in the church to help us understand God's word, right? And so by truth, do not sell it. By wisdom, instruction, and understanding, there is something to be said about seeking after truth. And you mentioned it earlier as well when you talked about being street smart as opposed and as well as book smart. You need both. So how do you acquire it? We live in a time, we have social media, we, we have the, the internet, right? We're, we're on the internet right now. You can Google things. You can find things very easy. So many things are free access. I mean, you go to like Chapel Library, you can get so many free PDF books. There's so many Monergism. things. Monergism. Because... These things are so old, there's no copyrights on them. They're, they're just, they're, they're put out there publicly free. You can learn things, you can grow. I, I see this tendency with people that say, well, I don't need commentaries or I don't need these other, these things that others have written. You know, I just need my Bible. Yes, we want the Bible. We need God's word, but God has given gifts to the church to help us understand what's there because some things are hard to understand. I, I know there are times, Mike, and I'm sure you can attest to this as well, that you've read the Bible through maybe once a year, maybe more than once a year, and then you're sitting under a preacher, maybe your pastor, or maybe you're at a conference, or maybe you're at another church, and somebody's preaching from something that you've read so many times, and they pull something out, and you're scratching your head like, how did I never see that? Mm -hmm. How did I never see that? And so we have a lot of, you can see some books behind me, and, and, and there's more books on these other sides. And Mike, I know you have books, and you have a library of books through Logos, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have the access to know what people have come before us and said, hey, as I'm reading the scripture, this is what I'm pulling from this. You know, now we always test that by the word of God, right? But we have people that have been given as gifts to the church for the building up of the body of Christ. And so it's not something we should just despise. We should buy it. We should seek it. We should gain it and not sell it, right? Um, buy wisdom, instruction, and, and understanding. And so we should be seeking after these things, not just like putting them aside and say, well, I just no creed but Christ. All I need to know is Jesus loves me, right? Yes, Jesus does love you. Yes, Christ is king, and, 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 and even when you get into the no creed but Christ things. Yes, it's good to understand that Christ saves you, that you're justified by faith in Christ. Those are important. But don't despise the wisdom that you can get in trying to understand. What does it mean that we're justified by faith? What does it mean that Christ alone saves? What does it mean that, that we're saved by grace alone? What, is it solidarity? what does the glory of God alone mean? What is the importance of the church and why we should be members? These are not things we should despise, but seek to understand. 
so that we then can be a take that wisdom and teach it to our children and instruct them like Solomon is trying to instruct his children. You know? So I'm going to say something and this does not mean Mormons are Christians, but I think one thing I've learned from interacting with a Mormon friend I've had back when we were in the military is his drive to know, to have, to find he generally kind of the book smart. Um, several years ago, he posted a picture he read from heaven. He came and sought us, um, which is, is a good book that people should read, though he doesn't agree with any of it. Um, but to to gain understanding, there is that kind of pursuit of knowledge. Now, we need to go more than knowledge. Um, we need truth. We see wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Again, kind of that relaying kind of the basis in which wisdom flourishes. Mm. And I think there's something commendable by the, the constant study. Now, we can't let the study go to our head, and it cannot become isolated from others we're called to be in community we're to encourage one another but there's that that pursuit of truth to know things no just not know things no true things and that there's no cost that one should be given to to give it up and ultimately to find truth is to find god because god is truth right right and to seek wisdom and instruction and understanding is to seek God because God is the one who dispenses wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And so I think this calls us as Christians to pursue God. And as, as you mentioned, he has first and foremost given us the truth in his revealed word and then given us the interpreter in our hearts that we can seek and understand but the same interpreter indwells all believers and when the spirit when christians write hopefully when they write about the things of god they are writing true things now mm -hmm. that's why we are to be bereans the standard is the bible what man writes is second and not close second right <clears throat> but there is one spirit who dwells us all and is the one who gives us the knowledge to know God. And so to seek truth is not just an independent thing in itself. It's a communal thing. We've, we've talked about theology is not done by oneself. It's done in community, not only your local community in your church, as you sit under the word and you with your feather fellow believers talk about the word being preached on that Sunday, but also having communication with other believers like we do here on G220 with each other, but also those who have written about these things. And so, yeah, that, that, that call to, seek truth. I know I sent you a screenshot 
I think we were mutual friends on Facebook. I don't know if you saw that about kind of like emotion or cognitive um, worship. Mm -hmm. And I think as reformed people, we tend to go, well, cognitive, because you have to know God to worship God. And so we do need that and that truth so that we know the God who we, we worship. But as we kind of mentioned earlier, there is not, there is an emotion attached with the knowledge in which we come and worship and glorify God because of things he does in our life, because of things that we see him doing in our lives and to, to pursue that. But we only can pursue that and realize that when we pursue the truth that God has given to us. So again, and I think this and then applies for us. How do we train our kids to pursue pursue truth if we don't ourselves pursue truth right. giving them the example showing them the instruction so that god may use his word on their hearts in the reading of it to change who they are there is a a training aspect part of me and i've thought about this a couple times throughout the show is just thinking about solomon's life and how it almost seems like he neglects the wisdom he gives us. Mm. Now the wisdom we have in Proverbs, though given to Solomon, comes from God. Right. So we can evaluate Sol Solomon's life against what he's written because he's inspired to write it. Um but just his stop pursuing of truth and in some sense selling it for multiple wives that lead ultimately to the destruction of Israel with the split kingdoms, the Northern mm -hmm. kingdom, never having a good King. Um, and the Southern kingdom having mostly bad Kings as they wait for the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. So I think it, when we think about Solomon and his life and just what it is, I think it, it even proves more so our need to continually go after truth and pursue truth so that we can remain faithful like Christ remained faithful. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is, it's very important too, to, to think about what, what you said there in the modeling this for your children, because what is a priority to you? Your children will see, they will pick up on that. So, and we've talked about it here on the show. We, we love to do fun things with our children. We love to go to amusement parks. We love to go to movies. We love to go to sporting events sometimes maybe, or go, go to the park and, and do fun things with our children as a family. But if, if your children see that these things are more of a priority to you than the things of God, than seeking after the truth of God and instructing them in the truths of God, going to church on a Sunday on the Lord's day. And, and they see that it's more of a priority for you to go to a sporting event than it is for you to go to church. They pick these things up. They see these things. And so if you are modeling these things for your children, yes, train a child up in the way that he go when he will, when he's older, he will not depart. You've said that when we started this program, yeah. um, we've covered that on this show already, 
It's not a promise. It's a principle. But we also serve a faithful God and a God we trust that he answers our prayers. And so we seek to train them to know the Lord, to train them to know what is right, to instruct them and to discipline them, and to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that when they're older, they won't depart from that, but turn to that. They will come to that. When they, when they look at the world and see the world's wisdom, they see Mr. Worldly Wise trying to instruct them to do all these things that are contrary to the Word of God, and they see how that falls flat, and it can't bring you anything that is a, a, a wise thought. It's just folly. It only brings folly. It only brings death. It only brings shame. It, it doesn't bring any type of hope or any type of truth with it. When they see that, and then they remember the what the things that they were taught, the instruction, and that that the the way in which their parents modeled it. And I'm not saying this to someone who's perfect. There's many times during this show and during other shows that we've covered where we're talking about children, and I'm smacking myself inside, and I'm thinking, man, you fell short right there. You know, mm-hmm. I think when you discipline your child later or earlier, you you responded out of anger and not really out of you know. Uh, a, a proper heart and attitude towards the discipline of your child. And so there's many times where, where we look at these things and we think how often we fall short. But we hope that in instructing them and in in modeling that before them, that they will make those wise decisions and God will change their heart to bring them to the truth. And that's all we can do is pray for our children. But we also, I shouldn't say that's all we should do. We should pray for our children. But we should model that. We should show them that we are seeking for the truth. These things are a priority. God is a priority. And if God is a priority over everything else, that should look different. Doesn't mean you can't have fun and do those things, but it should look different as opposed to those other things. You know? Any last thoughts or words, Mike? Bring us home. Yeah, I think we see a lot. This, This chapter has been really focused on or at least this part of the chapter has been really focused on um, children raising them up um, and to, and to those who are children, whether young or old to act in a certain way. I think one thing to think about as we kind of, to think about this as a whole is the opportunity parents have to model obedience to christ i know we have talked against and and rightly so this like lifestyle evangelism kind of idea that you just live your christian life and then and in hopes that someone might ask you about the hope that's within you um there are several flaws with that but what can also be a very powerful evangel um um, tool in evangelism is how you conduct yourself, especially with your kids. Are you preaching a gospel that is different than how you act? Because that's hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And the kids see that. I mean, you, the polls are out there. High school students see the hypocrisy quote unquote Christian homes their Christian parents had. I think it it allays this chapter allows us to think about how do we 
evangelize our kids? How do we discipline our kids? And then how do we live our lives that reflect the truths that we believe? Because if we preach the gospel, we live out the preached gospel in our lives. So both words and actions. Our children get to see God's work in our lives. And in that way, if they will not only know the truths, but then start seeking the truths because they see how your life is different than maybe a friend who doesn't have Christian life. Now, God must still work in their heart. And, you know, we're praying that God uses all of this to change their heart, to regenerate them. But this is kind of when I think about this, this is how the early church evangelized. It was both words and actions. They lived out what they believed. Mm -hmm. And kind of in, in one sense, and this is while this is directed at children, the parents also must be living out these same truths. They must not envy sinners. They must not be among the drunkards and the gluttons. And, and to do those same things, because that's what will reinforce everything you're trying to train your kids. Because if it's not, then you're like the Pharisees. You're just heaping up all of these things on the people and not helping them out. And that's where the gospel comes in. To relay and to bring the children that if they do fall short, there is an advocate for them and to call them to trust upon the Lord and trust upon his salvific work on the cross. And I think, and there's an element that undergirds all of this that brings about a gospel transformation within a child's heart. And it may be while they're at home, or for one of my elders, it may be when their kids are much older on their own and their kids are much older and they they remember the truths being taught to them and they give their lives mm -hmm. to Christ. And that's the hope of every parent. Right. And it's in God timing when that happens. But I think, as you mentioned earlier, God is faithful. And that that affects um, not only the family, but it will also affect all of their relationships, too. Again, it's, in one sense, a multiplying effect mm -hmm. that we call. But that does call, as Christian parents, to live in worthy in the light that we've been called right and that is a difficult situation but we have an advocate to go before and at the same time god calls us to have fun yeah. to enjoy the life god has given to us to enjoy the people god has given to us that's um we should probably do a, a show on ecclesiastes because i think that's the point of ecclesiastes is to love god and to be obedient but to love the life that god has given to you in that obedience and to to see that god desires us to flourish 
in his world. And the Proverbs here, as we train our kids, we, tr we are training them in the fear of the Lord to flourish in the world that God has given to us. Amen, brother. Well, that's been G220 Radio for tonight. Next week, we will be back and closing out this chapter of Proverbs 23. Uh, we will be doing verses 24 through 35, closing it out. And so we want to see uh, We would like to see you again back with us next week. And uh, um, until then, though, God bless and good night.